Well, good morning, Journey. Hope you're all having a wonderful day. That music always gets me pumped. It's all, I, I love the, 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 the service that we use for, for music. They always get stuff that's either like scary or, or, or exciting. Today I feel like I should be doing aerobics or something. I don't know. Um, let me ask you this question as, as we get started today. Uh, do you ever have the experience, uh, maybe when you were growing up, you were in a public place with your parents, uh, you were holding their hand, there's a ton of people, maybe it was a park or a mall or something like that, and something happened, you got distracted, you looked the wrong way, you let go, and then you turn around and your parents were gone. It happened to me when I was, I think, eight years old at Disney World, of all places, okay? Like, my family still lived in Ecuador, but we came to Disney World for, on vacation. I need to use the bathroom. My dad kind of, like, went with me, and I guess he also had to use the bathroom. I, didn't, I thought that he had just to, like, sit there and, you know, watch over me and not do his business. So I finished in the bathroom, and I'm assuming my dad's outside. So I walked outside. My dad's still inside. My mom and my sister were also outside, and I guess they thought, oh, maybe we should go and use the bathroom. So they go into the bathroom, and then I'm by myself, eight years old. I don't speak English in a foreign land, and I thought, this is it. This is my home alone moment. This is when I become Kevin McAllister and survive, right? No, no, I had a meltdown. I start crying. I find, uh, this is terrible, uh, you know, one of the park workers that looked like she was my people and would understand my language. So I came out with her and she did understand my language and she helped me out. And she's, okay, listen, calm down. Let's go back to the last place that you were with them. So she takes me back to the bathroom and they were all there, right? Because my mom had walked. Anyway. I remember that couple of few seconds of panic thinking to myself, my family forgot about me. Have you ever felt like that? I'm telling you that story because this, this week's passage that we're looking at, this story, we're kind of like looking at that idea. We, we've, we're doing this series dealing with detours, and th the general gist of the series is that Life never happens how we anticipate it happening, does it? A lot of times, most of the time, actually, we have these ideas of how life is going to turn out, and what ends up happening is that we take all these detours, whether we want to or not. And it, how we react in those moments, how we act in those moments, how we process moments makes all the difference in your life. And we're lo looking at the life of Joseph because Joseph is the one person in the Bible that every detour that you can think about gets thrown his way. And yet... He manages to remain faithful to God, and actually God uses him greatly. So today, what I want to do is I want to look at what happens when the detours in life that we end in or take, they make us feel like God has forgotten about us, right? So before we jump into that one, you pray with me. Dear God, we come before you today. Believing that you're real, believing that you're here, believing that you listen to us. And my prayer is that your spirit would be present in this place. That there's something that you want to say to us, something that you want to speak to our hearts. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus we pray. 
So last week, if, if you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph ends up working for a guy named Potiphar, who happens to be the head of the royal guard of the fair. So he's a very influential, important person. And God blesses Joseph in that position. He kind of like rises to almost like his main like butler, I guess. Like he's like overseeing all of Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife, uh, they have a thing. He apparently kind of like tries to seduce him. And when we last saw our hero, he was running away naked uh, from, this, uh, fr- fr- from this event. And that's what we're going to pick up today. Now, listen, I'm covering like a chapter and a half of text. So if I read you the whole thing, you're going to sit here for like 10 minutes, bore out of your mind, and won't understand my accent anyway. So that's what we're going to do, okay? I'm going to read up a lot of it, and you're going to trust me. That's what's in the Bible. And if you don't believe me, just go and read for yourself later today, and you'll see that I was in line. So anyway, this is what happens. Potiphar's wife tries to basically frame Joseph for attempted sexual assault. Like this is Jay saying that he tried to force himself on her. She tells her husband. Her husband gets super mad and throws Joseph in jail. Joseph ends up in jail. And in jail, God continues to bless Joseph and prosper him to the point that Joseph ends up becoming almost like the overseer of the jail. Like the closest example I can have is... uh, Andy Dufresne in Shawshank Redemption, when he starts like basically running the jail and has the, you know, the, the library that he built and the whole deal, right? So Joseph ends up, you know, watching over uh, these two prison guards. Oh, there we go. That's a picture. Anyway, Joseph ends up watching over these two uh, prisoners that were important. It was basically two people that worked for Pharaoh. One was his chief cupbearer, and the idea of the cupbearer is that if somebody wanted to, to, to poison Pharaoh, like the cupbearer would drink their wine before giving it to Pharaoh. My son makes me taste his milk before he drinks it. I guess I'm his cupbearer. I don't know how that works, but anyway. So he has a chief cupbearer and the chief baker. They end up in jail because Pharaoh gets mad at them, and they start having these weird dreams, and the only person that's able to interpret those dreams is Joseph. Um, and in those dreams, Joseph's interpretation is that the chief cupbearer was going to be restored to his position with Pharaoh and that the chief baker, unfortunately, was going to be executed. I want to show you what he tells the chief cupbearer. This is Genesis chapter 40. I'm just reading on verse 13. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. And Joseph's dream interpretation actually ends up coming through. So if you go to verse 20, he says, Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. I'm so glad that now we just get fired, right? Nobody impels us when we like bad our job. Chat, please don't get any ideas. Okay, now, notice how this passage ends. This is verse 23, the last verse in that chapter. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. 
So Joseph's story so far has taken some crazy detours, if you think about it, right? His brothers turn on him, uh, and they're going to kill him, but then they decide not to kill him, but sell him into slavery, basically. He ends up working for Potiphar, who happens to be this very influential person, and things seem to start looking up, and then he's falsely accused of something and ends up thrown in jail. In jail! He still kind of like starts rising through the ranks and, you know, it's probably as comfortable as you can be while in jail. Uh, and he makes these crazy connections with, again, important influential people in Pharaoh's court. One of them, who knows, kind of like owes him a favor because he interpreted his dream. And also somebody that he knows is going to be restored to this position of influence. So it would seem that, jo that things for Joseph were finally looking up, except where we end this chapter is that Joseph... That, 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 that the coveter forgets about Joseph. And I wonder as I read the story how Joseph felt about the whole thing. Because, you know, if I was Joseph, I feel like I would have some emotional whiplash, you know? Because things go terribly wrong. My brothers turn on me, they try to kill me, and they don't kill me. So, like, ah, I'm not going to die, right? And then I'm going to be sold into slavery. And then, oh man, like I'm a slave now. And, oh my goodness, like God is blessing me here. And I'm rising to a position of influence. This is great. And then, oh no, now I'm falsely accused of something. And I end up in jail. And now, you see what I'm saying? Like his whole life is this up and down over and over. My natural tendency every time something was turning around and things started looking up would be, this is it. This is how God is going to deliver me. This is how God is going to finally turn things around for me. And yet, time after time, probably after getting his hopes, his hopes up, things take a turn for the worse for Joseph. And we find him at the end of this passage in jail, alone, and forgotten. I mean, you know, Joseph knows that he's innocent, right? He knows that his brother's turning on him was wrong. He knows he's falsely accused. And we don't get an, a window into his inner life at the moment, but I wonder if he ever felt like God had forgotten about him. Just like his brothers had, just like Potiphar had, just like the cupbearer had. And maybe he thought at this point his family had. Now, my guess is that most of us in this room don't have stories as crazy as Joseph's, I hope for your sake. But, you know, we're talking about dealing with detours, and I think that this passage touches on a dynamic that is incredibly crucial to consider. And it's this. When we experience detours in life, where things take a turn for the worse, it is hard not to feel like God has forgotten about us. And you've probably felt like this at times, right? Maybe you made a decision thinking that that was God's will for your life only to see it backfire or, or fall apart maybe, right? Maybe you were unjustly betrayed or you had people close to you turn on you. When we experience detours, particularly when those detours are the consequence of an injustice or if it's something that we didn't necessarily do but something that was done to us, and we don't see God intervene right away, our natural tendency is to assume that God has forgotten about us. By the way, this is a common emotion. Like you see it all through the Bible. The psalmist that writes Psalm 22 starts a psalm like this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? 
Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Maybe this is something that resonates with you. Maybe, maybe you've experienced this in the past, or maybe you're experiencing this right now. So the question is, is this true? Does God abandon people? Has God forsaken us? And maybe just hearing the question makes you feel a little like uncomfortable because you're like, no, of course not. God never abandons his children, right? Except that chances are that you've thought at some point. And the only reason why I know that is because I know I have. And, and, and I know I have maybe that we don't say it aloud, but we've wondered it. And we know all the passages about faith. We know all the passages about belief. We know all the passages about God's care for his children and, and, and that we can have trust in him. And yet, when things take a turn for the worse and we have no explanation and a solution doesn't come right away, we can't help but feeling how we're feeling. Forgotten. Abandoned. And the question I want to to explore is, is there a way to avoid this? Is there a way to learn how to trust God even when we feel abandoned and forgotten? And, and to figure that out, first we have to actually answer the question, does God abandon us? And what I want to do is I want to invite you to look again one more time very quickly when I go through the story of Joseph for the last two chapters, 39 and 40. Uh, but I want to show you a few different verses than the ones we read earlier, okay? This is Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. This is the beginning of last week's story. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything that he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Polyphor noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This is how the, the, this episode in Joseph's life starts. He's basically sold into slavery, and the writer of Genesis makes a point to say, the Lord was with Joseph. And then the next line is, it's so evident that the Lord is with Joseph that Polyphor, who not, does not believe in Yahweh, thinks, I think that God is with this guy, right? Do you see it? Now look what happens when Joseph is thrown into jail. So this is second part of chapter 39, verse 19. Polyphor was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The, Lord, the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. You see that. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him his faithful love. There's a commentator when I was working for this that says that like this section of the book of Genesis, so like the whole story of Joseph, it's kind of like all book 10, like the way that Genesis is, is broken inside. The highest concentration of mentions of the name of God is in these two chapters. You see that? 
Because humanly speaking, we could say that Joseph has the most difficult challenges and the worst situations that you can think about in this section. From being betrayed, to being sold into slavery, to being falsely accused, to being thrown in jail. And right there, in the worst that life can throw at a person. The writer of the book of Genesis makes a point to show that God was the most present. Now, here's the thing. We read a story like this, and you're going to say, well, yeah, but that's Joseph. You know, like, I mean, God clearly was with him, and he was blessing him and everything. And he's like, if you know how my situation at work is, you'll clearly know that God is not prospering me the same way God's prospering Joseph, right? If you know how things are going at home, you would know that God is not prospering me the way that he's prospering Joseph. And that might be true. I don't know your particular situation. Except that I wonder... If we were in Joseph's sandals, if we, if we would be able to recognize that God was with us. Because if you think about it, God being with Joseph doesn't protect him from any of the terrible things that happened to him. It doesn't protect him from being betrayed. It doesn't protect him from being sold into slavery, from being falsely accused, from being thrown in jail. And, and if we were in Joseph's place, the question is this, would we be able to point to the moments where God has blessed us and given us the strength that we need to endure the, the difficult circumstances that we're facing? Or would we think that he has abandoned us? Because her circumstances don't seem to change. And sometimes they even seem to get worse. In other words, when we feel forgotten by God, listen to this. Do we feel forgotten by God because we don't feel God's presence and love and peace? Or do we feel forgotten by God because our circumstances haven't changed? Because here... We see Joseph in circumstances that go from bad to worse, with no prospect of change so far. Some commentators think that Joseph spends about 13 years in jail. And through all that time, God has not abandoned Joseph. He hasn't forgotten about him, even if his circumstances haven't changed. In other words, the presence of trouble doesn't mean the absence of God. And the key to realizing that is a change in focus. We can focus on our adverse circumstances. In Joseph's case, think about betrayal, slavery, false accusations, prison. Or we can put our eyes on the ways in which God is still sustaining us in the midst of those situations. In Joseph's case, how God prospered Joseph in the midst of those circumstances, even if he didn't change the circumstances. You see, oftentimes, the reason why we feel like God has abandoned us is because we will only accept a change in circumstances as evidence of God's presence. But what you see through the Bible is that sometimes the evidence of God's presence is not a change in circumstances, but God sustaining us in the midst of our circumstances. My, my favorite example of this is the people of, of Israel when they leave Egypt and are wandering in the desert. 
the wonder of the desert for 40 years. And as they're about to enter the promised land, Moses is kind of like giving this speech that's kind of like a recap of everything that's happening in those 40 years. And there's this one verse that he says, this Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 4. He says, for all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. You see, God through Moses is telling the people of Israel that all of those 40 years, while they were wandering in the desert, God was with them. And the evidence of God's presence was not prosperity or a change in circumstances. It was survival. It was endurance. He said, you know how, I know how you can know that I'm with you? Because you're still around. And I wonder how much we would know this and sense and, 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 and feel God's presence when we start taking a look at that. Um, my senior year of high school, I spent uh, a couple of months in Brooklyn, New York. I, I, my family still lived in Ecuador, but my dad had a sister that lived in Brooklyn. He said, why don't you just go stay with her? It's kind of like a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, like, except I didn't get into any trouble. My dad was like, go stay with your aunt, right? And it was kind of like he wanted me to see the world and experience life in the big city and whatnot. And I was excited about it. It was the worst three months of my life. Uh, she kind of like, we didn't get along. It was her by herself. I didn't kind of like have any friends my age. You know, like we had, you know, had cousins to hang out with or anything. And it was just not a good time. And I was feeling very isolated, very alone. And, and one of the few things that I could do that I liked was going to the music show. Remember those. There was a Sam Goody. I don't even know if you guys know what that is, but it was kind of like a thing back in New York, right? Uh, and I'm, I was a big DC Talk fan growing up, so I wanted to, they had released like a Greatest Hits kind of album, and I went to see it, and uh, I think I, there you go, that's, that's intermission, that's right before, when they told us that they were taking a break, and it's been like 20 years, and they haven't gotten back together, not that I'm salty about that, but anyway. So I, I, I get on the bus, and, and on the bus going back to my aunt's house, and I like, you know, put the CD on, and then I'm flipping through the booklet, and I come across this page, can you show the next, the next slide? Now, you can't see very well the words that are there, but I want to kind of like just read them to you. Go, go to the next slide because the words are there. It was, it's a paraphrase of Psalm 40, verse 17. As for me, I am poor and needy, but God is thinking about me right now. And I don't know what was about that. There's some moments where I feel like God speaks through me through the scriptures, and that was one of those moments. And I had this overwhelming sense that at that moment when I feel the loneliest, when I felt forgotten, when I felt abandoned, that God was telling me that he was with me. And that changed my perspective about what I understood God being with me to be. Because one of the reasons I was so bitter and sad was because I thought that God had forgotten about me. Because if God hadn't forgotten about me, my life wouldn't be so difficult. And that verse reframed my perspective on that because he was like God saying, God was with me. He was thinking about me right this second, even if my circumstances weren't what I wanted them to. To be, and that became more important to me than the circumstances I was going through. Can I be honest with you? I think that a lot of times we don't actually care whether God is with us or not. We just want our circumstances to change. 
and we use God sort of as like means to an end. And the question for us is, if circumstances remain hard for the rest of our lives, but we knew that God was with us, and we could get to experience his peace and his love, would that be enough for us? Would God's presence and fellowship suffice? And the reason why this matters is because when we feel like God has abandoned us or, or forgotten us, is when we become the most vulnerable to give into temptation, is when we become the most vulnerable to make wrong decisions and to, you know, wreck our lives even further and to make the detours even worse. I'm a big West Wing fan, and I remember this one episode where uh, there's a senator talking to the president, and he's telling his story that how um, when, when uh, kind of like rookie pilots start flying, one of the things that you have to kind of like fly into cloud cover and try to, you know, navigate your plane when you can't see around, and you have all this equipment in your plane telling you, you know, where the horizon is and whatnot, but they don't trust the equipment because of all the clouds around it, so they start making adjustment here, adjustment there, and before you know it, they're coming out of the clouds like, you know, upside down. I'm not a pilot. I don't know if that story is true. I watch it on TV so you can take, take their word for it. But the reason why, why, why I'm telling you is because I feel like a lot of times that's what happens to us when we're in these moments where we feel like God has forgotten about us and we don't know what to do. So we start making decisions ourselves. Sometimes we start compromising here and there. We start trying to take shortcuts. We start thinking it doesn't matter because God doesn't care because if he cared, he would have done something about this. And what we see but notice how Joseph responds to these moments, right? So like, chapter 39, after uh, Polyphar's wife kind of like trying to heal on him, he says this, verse 8. My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. So he remains faithful to God even in the moments when he feels forgotten and abandoned. Uh, later on, when he is with the cupbearer and, 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 the, uh, and the baker, and they have these dreams, he, you know, he's asking, hey, why, why are you worried today? And, and you know, they tell him that they have these dreams, and he, repl- he replies this. He says, interpreting dreams is God's business, okay? He's not done with ministry. Even in jail, <laughs> He still believes that God can use him and still trying to serve God. He hasn't given up on God. Now, the story of Joseph doesn't end here, right? And we're, we're, we're going to see in, in, the, in the following weeks is you kind of like how he ends up being in that position of influence and how God ends up using him. And reflecting on that years later, he's talking to his brothers that betray him. And he says this on Genesis 50 verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. What Joseph is saying is that years later, only with the benefit of hindsight, is that all the while he was a slave and in prison and people had forgotten about him, and it would seem that God had forgotten about him, God had been at work guiding things through a redemptive purpose. What if this was also true about our lives? that when we think that God has forgotten about us or, or when it would seem like God isn't there, that God's actually working behind the scenes, underground, invisible, moving things along for his purposes and for our 
good. Uh, when, when our church shut down, the very first meeting I had, believe it or not, was with Chad. Like a couple of the people in the board of our church say, you should connect with Chad. And I was, okay, this is how God's going to do it. You know, this is my next job. Like I, I'm not even uh, going to be out of a job for a month and Chad's going to hire me and everything's going to be great, right? And I meet with Chad and I think that was when um, Ryan, like your youth guy was, was leaving. She's like, listen, listen, man, all I'm looking for right now is like a part-time youth guy you want to do. And I'm like, no, okay, I'm, I'm not dealing with teenagers anymore until I have my own. Okay, so... Um, so that ended up working out. And I was like a little disappointed about that. So I drive home and I spent the next few months wandering the desert. Literally, literally. like I was, I was preaching at different churches and I was applying for all these jobs and I wasn't getting callbacks or anything. And, and there were many moments that I thought, is God done with me in ministry? And obviously you guys were also going through some transitions through that time that I didn't know about. And you guys had, you know, associate pastors and some staffing changes in here. And at some point, kind of like towards... October of last year, my wife and I started just praying, God, can you bring us to mind to the right people? And I don't, I'm not kidding you. It started getting invitations to apply to church jobs left and right. And none of them really felt right. None of them kind of like match your stage in life until I got a text message from Chad saying, hey, do you have a time for a call next week? Do you see that? When I thought that God was done with me, when I thought that God had forgotten me, that God had abandoned me, all of these other things were going on and God was working for the purposes of his kingdom and for my life. God hadn't forgotten about me. Now, remember that passage in Psalm 22 I read you earlier, like, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That passage may sound familiar to you. And the reason why it sounds familiar to you is because somebody else recites those lines. This is Mark chapter 15, verse 33. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Then at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus is quoting Psalm 22 as a means of saying, Part of what's going on at the cross is that Jesus is experimenting that feeling of isolation and abandonment by God. But then notice what Jesus says, the last things that he says in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 20. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to consider that juxtaposition. Jesus at the cross is saying, God, why have you abandoned me? And Jesus, after the resurrection, saying, I am with you always. You see what's going on? Jesus, what, what, what the gospel writers are saying is, because Jesus went to the cross, because Jesus experienced the ultimate abandonment, the ultimate isolation, we don't ever have to wonder if God has forgotten about us. Because Jesus has promised us that he won't. Um, we have Easter coming up in a few weeks, and uh, one of the things that we're doing this Easter is we're going to have baptisms. We have Easter baptisms, and I want to read you a passage that kind of like is Apostle Paul talking about baptism because I think it, it connects with this. this is uh, Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-six. It says, "For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes." So, so, so Paul is kind of talking about the idea of what, what baptism signifies. And, and he's saying, 
Well, part of what's going on there is like you, you go into the water, you're joining Jesus in his death. And as you're coming out of the water, it's like joining him in his resurrection. But then he also says, when you go into the water, you are with the water. Like the water is with you. It's all over. You can't get out of the water. And he says, it's like you're putting Jesus on over you like a coat. And he's saying, you are with him. You're hidden in him. What, what, what Paul is saying is, you know what baptism does? It reminds you that you are not alone. And that whenever you doubt, whenever you think, well, what if God has forgotten about me? What if God's done with me? You can look back to the moment when you got baptized. And no, no, I am in Christ. I'm contractually obligated to remind you that next week I'm teaching a class on baptism. Uh, so this section of my sermon has been brought to you by the spiritual formation department at the Journey Church. <laughs> this is how I want to close. Uh, kind of sound weird. I want to do something for you that was done for me years ago uh, through a podcast of all places that kind of helped me deal with this. Uh, I want you to stand up for a second. Seriously, don't, don't freak out. Nothing weird is going to happen. Nobody's going to put hands on you or anything. I want you to stand up. And I want to read you a passage from the scriptures that precisely talks about this idea that God doesn't abandon us. And the problem is that a lot of times we need somebody else to remind us of that. So I want to do that for you today. So what I want you to do is actually close your eyes right now and maybe think of the areas in your life where you feel like God has abandoned you. That maybe you feel like God is not here, that you understand why God's not in these the moments where you felt forgotten and left out. Let me read this to you. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry? or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like, like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. My brothers and sisters of the journey, we have not been forgotten. We are not alone. We have not been abandoned. 